Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to James. James tonight. Go to James. I want to talk to you. I love talking about faith. And I want to talk to you about faith, but I also want to talk to you about works. And I want to discuss tonight how faith and works go together. They complement each other. And I want to use the book of James because it's just an incredible reminder of the divine order of God. We've got, number one, amazing grace. From amazing grace comes great faith. And from great faith comes good works. Comes good works. This is the order that it goes in. And it's important because if you just do good works and you don't understand grace, you fall short. And if you just do good works and you're not understanding grace, you're going to find yourself in religion and legalism. And you're going to burn out trying to achieve on your own merit. We have to understand it always starts with God first. And from that comes great faith. And out of great faith come good work, comes good work. Good works are produced out of great faith. It's impossible to please God without what? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is an action word. Works follow faith, always. Look at James verse, uh, chapter 2. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, there has been entire denominations built off that scripture right there because they've taken it out of context. They think, can that faith? So you've got to, it's got to be works. I've got to work my way to heaven. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Entire religions have been built by this. And they have misunderstood this statement right here, this passage of Scripture right here. Works are good, but works can't get you to heaven. It's through, it, by faith you're saved through grace. Not of yourselves, not of your own merit. Through faith. And James right here isn't asking a question. He's making a statement. He's saying if you have faith, then good works should follow. Faith and works are constant companions. Write that down. They go hand in hand. They always work together. Tracy and I have been married, will be married this May for 30, 33 years. I remember making a vow in front of God and about 200 people. But how many of you realize vows without commitment are empty? If you're not willing to put commitment behind the vows, then all you have is a ceremony. And there are some things in life that go together, and faith and works are one of those things. It goes together. If you have faith without works, it's dead. And if you have works without faith, all you have is meaningless works. See, a lot of people, they get to faith and they just get stuck. 
And what I mean by that is they don't know how to grow in their faith. And that's what James is talking about here. He's saying, I don't want you just to come to faith, but I want you to grow in your faith. So in order to grow in faith, then you have to do something with faith. The last five verse, words of that verse in 14 is, can that faith save them? Like I said, probably one of the most controversial statements about salvation in the Bible right there. Some believers don't know what born again means. We're the born again dispensation. We're not the saved dispensation. We're born again. We're the only generation that will be born again. Did you know that? Because before Jesus died on the cross, you had to be saved, sacrifice animals. Then came Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Then you become born again. And once he comes back after the tribulation, you'll be, you can't be, have to be saved, but you can't be born again again. You have to be saved. Am I saying that right, Dad? Yeah. So we are the only generation that will be born again. But some people don't know what that means. I got a ring, guys, up here. Please help me. Many scholars say that this verse contradicts other passages in the Bible. Let me give you a little history lesson here. Martin Luther lived from 1483 to 1546, and he led the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther said this, that the book of James is an epistle of straw. Now, some, some scholars, I don't know if this is true, but some scholars say that he took the book of James out of the Bible. And so we're thinking, well, if he's such an incredible man, you know, why did he have so many problems with the book of James? <laughs> Which would be a legitimate question. But you have to understand Martin Luther's stance on that position when he said those things. Martin Luther lived during a period when the world was led by the Catholic Church. Before we get cards and letters and emails, I love the Catholic Church. I'm not against the Catholic Church. But in this time period, right here, the Catholic Church had gotten off into left field. And they became victim to poor leadership. There was a pope by the name of Leo X. Study that up. And what he started doing was selling high-ranking positions in the Catholic Church. They began to sell indulgences. Now, an indulgence was sold to people whose family members had died. And they believed if you bought an indulgence, you could buy that family member out of hell. That's a monopoly game. You can't, you can't, do, you can't do that. That's a monopoly, isn't it? And you may be thinking, well, there's no way I would ever believe that. True, I understand that. But at that time, most people were uneducated and illiterate. They couldn't read the Word. They couldn't read the Bible for themselves. So they believed what that priest told them, just like many people do today when they watch Christian television. No, I'm going to go there. You've got to know your Bible, folks. Get your nose in your Bible. Don't depend on me. Every day. Know your Word. You know why the Mormon faith is so popular? Because they know that Bible. They know their Bible. They know their Bible. They read their Bible. And they can quote it. But a lot of us are like, well, my grandma said. Well, my, my pastor, my first church told me, know your word. 
Martin Luther got a hold of the Bible and started receiving revelation. And he started reading Galatians and Romans. As he read it, he realized salvation cannot be achieved or purchased. Salvation comes through grace by faith. And Martin Luther says salvation is a free gift from God. Everybody's got the wrong news going on here. They're, they're getting the wrong information. So he started an uprising known as the Protestant Reformation, which today is known as the evangel Evangelical Church. So why didn't he like the book of James? Because when he read it, like most people do, he took it out of context. He interpreted what the Catholic Church was saying, and that was the only way you knew you were saved was if you were doing good works. Now, the book of James is written about 45 A.D. And James is writing to a Jewish audience that had converted to Christianity. In 45 A.D., doctrine was still being developed, and so they were still discovering what faith meant, kind of like we're still doing today. And when James is writing this book, his audience were good, ethical, moral people. So when he was talking about the word saved, he was using the same word we see for saved in the Old Testament. Watch this. The Old Testament meaning of salvation comes from the root word deliverance. So whenever you see the word deliverance in the Old Testament, it was rarely dealing with eternal security. It was referring to present deliverance. Jesus came and saved us from all our past, present, and future sins. He knows what you're going to mess up with come this Friday. He said, I'll take care of that for you. He knows your past. He took care of everything, past, present, and future, through the blood of Jesus. So our history doesn't determine our destiny. See, that's a past type of saving. Then you have a present type of saving. Paul refers to this in Philippians chapter 2 where he said, all of you should work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is not saying that your salvation is in jeopardy. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking about a present salvation, a daily deliverance that we all need. We all need a daily deliverance. Listen, the only thing that can that's being renewed daily is your mind. Your spirit's complete. Y'all know that, right? This mind has got to be renewed daily. Because this sucker right here will mess you up. See, I need Jesus not just to get to heaven. I need Jesus to get me through the checkout line at Walmart. Come on. It's, it's a daily deliverance. But we also know here in Romans chapter 8 of a future salvation. Jesus will return, and when he does, we will be made complete to reign in heaven forever. So in James, where it says, can such faith save you, he's talking about daily, daily deliverance and present salvation. Is that clear? Clear as mud? Okay, here we go. I know people who are saved and going to heaven, but are living completely bound up today. Many of you do too. So the bottom line is faith and works are close companion. That's the bottom line right here. Look at verse 15 of James 2, 15 through 17. I'm reading from the, uh, I believe the ESV version. If a brother or sister is poorly 
clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the needs, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Sometimes as church people, we can be so good at seeing the need, but yet do nothing about it. That didn't go real good. And awareness, watch this, and awareness of a problem is not the solution to the problem. Sometimes we can just be so cliche when it comes to other people's needs. And, and what I mean by that is when someone is in need, we're, go, we're good at saying things like, I'm praying, well, I'll be praying for you. I'll pray for you. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Hey, well, you hang in there. I read the end of the book and we win. They don't want to hear that. They want to know, can you, do any, can you do something, anything about what I'm going through right now? And you know, when I look at our culture today and all that is taking place, listen, we as a church need to rise up. Make a difference. Be the difference maker in this world. And now all of a sudden our gathering on Sundays and Wednesdays have purpose. It's not just someplace we come and get an obligation with. It has purpose, Amen. Don't, we don't have this on Wednesdays and Sundays to get a religious obligation met. That's not what this is about. We gather here in unity with each other as family to be fueled up, go out, and make a difference in our, in our community, in our neighborhood, wherever we live, wherever we're at at our jobs. That's why we do this thing called church. Listen, if your workplace is not being encouraged tomorrow, or your culture that people at your around is not being encouraged tomorrow because of this gathering, then this gathering is ineffective tonight. If the grocery store that you shop in is not seeing the light of Jesus in you, then tonight is pointless for us to even be meeting. Think about that. We have got to make an impact. We've got, and faith and works is what makes it happen. Listen, we have a calling as a ministry to serve people. Your occupation is your job, but we all have a calling to make a difference. And I've heard people say, but I'm just a secretary. No, you're not. You're an evangelist. When you're typing those keys, you're prophesying something. Well, I just work at a coffee shop. No, you don't. You're a missionary barista. Pray over those coffee beans. Hand that cup of coffee to that customer and say the best is yet to come. Not a Folgers commercial either. You know, the year of the Lord's favor is upon you. Great things are coming your way. We have a calling. Don't, here, don't, don't just see the need and do something about it. And, and I realize you can't do everything, but, but you can do something. Look at that need and say, okay, what, what can I do? What can I do about this? What can I do about it? Now, I had a, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, you probably heard me tell this story many times, but it fits really good right here. I was at a crusade. A lot of people had been saved that week, and I was going to preach that Sunday morning. And I'm sitting there in the church, and I mean, we had like 700 people saved in five days. It was an awesome, awesome crusade. But uh, a, little, a little lady came up to me. And she's probably in, in her 80s, 
real sweet lady. And she goes, she goes, I want to talk to you. And she didn't say it real nice. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, I don't like the way you guys come into this church, you young musclehead guys. And you break those bricks, you play that loud music, and you put fire on the stage, and you break those bricks, and you take your jackets off, and you're on your flesh. I love that part, your flesh. And she said, I just, she said, I just don't think it takes all of that. I said, well, ma'am, I, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I just, you know, I said, breaking bricks with my head wasn't my top 10,000 list of things I wanted to do in my life, to be honest with you. But I said, seeing people saved was. I said, we've seen, we've seen 700 people give their heart to Christ this week. And I said, you know, if breaking bricks draws in the lost, draws in the sinner, then I think we should do that. So I, I just don't think it takes all that. I said, well, let me ask you a question, ma'am. She said, okay. I said, what are you doing to reach your neighbor for the Lord? And she goes, well, I'm not doing nothing. There's a shock. And I just simply said, real nice, I like the way I'm doing something, the better, way you're, the better the way you are doing nothing. Do something for God. I remember one time we was walking down the street in Los Angeles with the power team and myself and another team member were just, you know, we're just hanging out, walking down the street and a homeless man was, looking, was asking for money. And uh, I stopped and I gave him a $20 bill. And the, and the guy was with me, so he, said, he, said, man, he said, what are you doing? He smells, he reeks of alcohol. What are you doing? He goes, what if he goes and just buys liquor with that money? You know what I said to him? I said, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to be obedient, do what the Lord told me to do, and give him some money. It's God's responsibility to bring the outcome. I remember being on the road and traveling. I was traveling to uh, Enid, Oklahoma. I stopped at an easy mark. And as I was going in, it was on Sunday morning, real early Sunday morning, I was going in, there was a man sitting on the curb. And he, he, said, he said, would you buy me some food? I said, I sure will. So I picked up a bottle of water while I was in there, a Nutri-Grain bar, and got him some beef jerky and, you know, something with some nutrients in it and walked out and handed him the sack. And I was walking off and I heard him say, oh, man, I hate Nutri-Grain bars. <laughs> and something just, L.A. went all over me when he said that. <laughs> just made me mad. I mean, I got, I just got mad. And I thought to myself, who do you think you are? I just did you a favor. So as I turn around to give this man a piece of my mind, and an awesome rebuttal, by the way, that I had in my, in my head, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Greg, I've not called you to be popular with people. I've called you to unconditionally love people. Here's what I've learned about being obedient to God. When I start doing for Jesus, I start hearing him a whole lot better. When I start doing things that he puts on my heart, I start hearing him better. You'll be surprised when you start doing things the Lord places on your heart and you don't argue with God. Well, is that God or is that me? No, when you do and you know it's God. Listen, when God speaks to you, you know. He impresses on your heart to give or to do something, you know. 
And when you start being obedient, you'll start hearing him a whole lot better and a whole lot louder. Well, I, I'm just not hearing God. Well, maybe it's because he's still waiting on you to be obedient from the last instruction that he gave you. Just food for thought. Look at verse 18 and 19 in James 2. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe in God. So here's what that tells me. That just believing in God isn't good enough. Demons live in darkness and they're totally deprived of all hope and still believe. When they hear the name of God, they, they shudder. They're afraid. Write this down if you're taking notes today, tonight. It's not just believing God that makes a difference. It's right believing that leads to right living that makes a difference. Hear that. It's not just believing God that makes a difference. It's right believing that leads to right living that makes the difference. You know, just, just a reminder coming up to Easter. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for your sin, for you. The power is not just in knowing his name. The power is knowing what he has done for you. James is writing to us about works. James is writing to us about practical faith right here. Two things that I believe will inspire your action, your faith to action tonight. Two characters that Jesus uses here in our text. Look at verse 20 through 24. Do you want to be shown, you foolish, uh, foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Watch this. Two things to inspire your faith to action. Number one, love the promise giver more than the promise itself. Number one, love the promise giver more than the promise itself. James is trying to provoke our faith into action right here. And the way he does this is by telling us the story of Abraham. And we probably all heard it here. Abraham in Genesis chapter 9 is about 75 years of age. That's an age when people start thinking about retirement. Amen? I don't know, I'm 56, and I've had some thoughts here lately about retirement. But anyway, putting your feet up, relaxing on a beach somewhere, you know, that's, it's, it's, you know, it's time to shut things down a little bit. But God shows up and says, hey, Abraham, I'm getting ready to bless you big time. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Abraham goes to Sarah, and we all know, tells her what God said, and she loses her breath laughing because it's crazy. They're both so old. This, this cannot happen. Now, we've got to have a problem to the promise. Because in order to be the father of many nations, suggest you must have children. So we've got a, we've got a problem here to the promise. Now, after you read the story, only a few chapters pass, but each chapter, watch this, 
represents decades of Abraham's life. God doesn't show back up to Abraham until he's 99 years of age. Come on. Some of us, you know, would get a word from God a few weeks ago if it hasn't happened yet. We're like, where are you at, God? 24 years later, God shows back up and says, Abraham, remember what I told you about 24 years ago? Well, it's going to happen this year. Sarah begins to laugh again. Because not only is it crazy what God's promising, let's be honest, they're, they're old enough to be great-great-grandparents. Now, here's what you need to understand about God's promises. They're so big. Watch this. God's promises are so big that when people hear them, sometimes they have to laugh. Sometimes they're going to laugh. And it ought to be a laughable, you know, audible laugh. Because when God gets through working in your life, people will say, I know that person and they're not that good. That had to be God. Years pass. Or year passes. Abraham's now 100. Sarah's 90. They give birth to a little boy named Isaac. Man, don't you know the excitement and all the happiness they must have felt than the promise. Years later, God told Abraham, take Isaac to that Mount Moriah and sacrifice him on the altar. Can you imagine waiting that long for a child? And then God says, sacrifice him? But God, you promised me a son. I've waited 25 years. Now you want me to take his life? Nonetheless, Abraham obeys God. He marches Isaac up to Mount Moriah, lays him on the altar, takes his dagger out, gets ready to run his dagger through his promise. Let me stop right there and say this. Sometimes we, we love our desires more than, we delight, than, we, than our delight in God. Are you more interested in what, God, what you can get from God rather than what you can hand over to God? Whew. As he's getting ready to run this dagger through his promise, God stops him and says, Abraham, I'm just I was testing your obedience. Look over in the thicket. There's a ram. And that's what I want you to use for the sacrifice. What an incredible picture. As Abraham and Isaac are headed to the top of that mountain, a ram was on the other side of that mountain. God already had an exit plan. He wanted to see if Abraham was going to be obedient. This is a picture of what God did for us, church. Man, we're coming into Easter. Just like God provided a ram in place of Isaac, God promised Jesus the lamb in place of us. Whew, that gives me chill bumps under my long sleeve shirt right there. God has an exit plan for each and every one of us. What, what God wants to know is, do you love him more than, you, than, than, he can, than, than what he can give you? You know, sometimes we're just so in love with what we get from God. But do you love him more than what he can just give you? The second thing to inspire your faith, 
to action is found in James chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them, away, sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, on one account, he tells us about Abraham. and says, focus more on the promise giver than the promise itself. Now he shifts to Rahab. Rahab's a prostitute. We can probably all agree that being a prostitute is not a very noble occupation. But yet Rahab shows back up in Hebrews chapter 10 as considered one of the, you know, one of those in the hall of faith. She is recorded as a woman of faith because of what she did for God. And I think Rahab's story inspires our faith into action with this simple thought. Number two is this. Know that your position outweighs your practice. Know that your position outweighs... What does that mean, Pastor Greg? Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. Jericho was a superpower. Known, you know, they had fortified walls. The Israelites had come out of bondage from Egypt. They were going from city to city, conquering and dividing, moving closer to this promised land. When they came to Jericho, they sent spies to plot out that land. When they came to Jericho, they asked Rahab to hide them so they wouldn't be captured by the authorities. She agreed because she had heard about their God. She believed God was real. She said, if I do this for you, I ask that you grant me one act of kindness. Spare me and my family, and they agreed. She hit the spies, and when the authorities came to her house, she said, they have left, and they went that way. And when the spies came out of hiding, they told her to put a scarlet cord outside the window of her home. And anybody who is in the house, anyone who is positioned in the house, will be spared from death. She let the spies down with a rope from her window. The Bible says the walls of Jericho came down and the Israelites came and conquered and everybody inside of Rahab's home was spared. Here's why. Write it down. Their position outweighed their practice. And the same goes for you and I. Our position outweighs our practice. Her practice was a prostitute, but her position was found in the house with a scarlet cord on the outside. It's kind of like the ten plagues of Exodus. And the tenth plague was the angel of the death. What did God tell the Israelites? He said, everyone should take a slaughtered lamb, take that lamb's blood, paint it over, the door, paint it over your doorpost. Faith and works. Right there it is, working together. Faith and works. They're doing something. They have to have believe in it, but they have to do something. When the death angel sees the lamb's blood, it will pass over your house and your firstborn shall be saved. The death angel came and all the Israelites were spared. But the Egyptians' homes, who were not covered in the lamb's blood, everyone of their, everyone of their firstborn and livestock died that day. We see in Jericho a scarlet cord, a red cord that represents the blood of Jesus. So for each and every one of us, as we make Jesus the Lord of our life, we're saying we have pleaded the blood of Jesus over our lives. Jesus' blood has been shed so that we might be what? Spared. Although my practices sometimes are faulty 
and I don't always live up to what I believe, I remind myself that my position in Christ outweighs my practice for Christ. That's what I'm trying to tell you. What Jesus did for me outweighs what I'll ever do for him. Isn't that what Paul said when he declared, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Paul was saying right here, don't focus on your practice, focus on your position. And because of your position and who you are in Christ, his blood covers your past, your present, and your future sin. So you have to focus on what Jesus has already done for you. I want my faith to have good works. How many want their faith to have good works? I do, every day, every day. I'm going to stop right there. I got a little more, but I'm going to go ahead and stop right there tonight. Listen, faith without works is dead. Amen? You've got to have faith. And you've got to put action to that faith. Realize your position, who you are in Christ. Step out on that faith that he's given you and put it to action. And once you grow, your faith grows. The more you exercise your faith, the more it will grow. But you've got to exercise it. You've got to do something. Listen, I go to the gym at least four, four days a week. And if I don't continue to go to the gym, someone say, well, all that muscle will turn to fat. No, it won't. Muscle don't turn to fat. That's a myth. And you can't turn fat into muscle. And muscle can't turn to fat. You, you just... You, you quit working out, you just lose what you had. That's why you want to work that faith every day. Help me, Lord. What do I need to stretch my faith? What do I need to do? How, do, how should I exercise my faith today? Who, who can I pray for today? Who can I extend my faith for today? What can I believe for today? And you watch, your faith will begin to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon the little things that used to freak you out will be like, that's easy to believe for now. My faith has grown. And my faith has grown in God, not in myself. Not in what I, not because I believe it, because I know God will do it. And that's the key right there. That's the key. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for the opportunity to come at your house and to experience, Lord God, your presence so powerful every time we come together. Lord, I thank you that you're bringing people across our path these next uh, few weeks, Lord God, to bring to Easter Sunday. Lord, I thank you that you're going to begin to right now even place on people's heart a desire to come to this church. Lord, I know other churches will be full, but Lord, I pray that this church be full. And I pray that it be full of people that don't know you in a personal way. Now, Lord, when the net is cast, the Holy Spirit will draw them in to salvation. And their lives will be changed, and heaven will be bigger, and hell will be smaller. And I thank you for that, God. I, I believe by faith. I'm extending my faith right now to believe for that, and to believe for people to become born again on Easter Sunday. Amen. Father, I thank you for the miracles that you're doing and have been doing. Lord, I thank you for the healing that you're providing for for many people in this church watching online. 
If you're watching online and you need a healing, I want you just to stretch your hand forward, maybe toward your phone, your computer, whatever. Father, I pray healing power upon that person in the name of Jesus. When the person that's home that has a migraine headache, I pray for that person. It's a lady, and I pray for you right now, ma'am, and I speak healing to your mind and to that, and to that, uh, that migraine headache that it will, it will uh, clear up and vanish in the name of Jesus. Lord, someone out there, you have a, you have a right uh, pain in your, in, your, uh, in your lower right hip, and you can't even sit comfortably. It hurts so bad. I pray that, Father, that that person will be healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for people that are here right now that need healing in their body. Father, I pray right now that you would just begin to heal. Atonement, Lord God, is just for that person, Lord, that you would begin to heal that person in the name of Jesus. Denise, the Lord told me to tell you that he is going to heal you of those, of that asthma and that and those allergies that you have that are so, so bad. And you have even said, you know, this is, this is what I have, this is, this is mine. And God would say, this is not yours. And you can be delivered. I, I speak deliverance to you now in the name of Jesus. Praise you for that, Lord. It's not going to come against you any longer in Jesus' name. There's, there's a spirit of, of healing in this house right now. So whatever you have need of, don't wait for me to call it out. You just begin to receive that healing, whatever it may be right now, in Jesus' name. Father, you know the need, Lord, and I pray that it be extended from you to them right now in the name of Jesus. Healing has already been provided. It's already there. It's already in them. And Lord, I think they manifest right now in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Do you receive that? Do you receive that healing? I do. I receive it in Jesus' name. I receive it. So, having some problems in my right sciatic, and I believe I'm healed in, in Jesus' name. I believe I'm healed in Jesus' name. You know, it goes back to a couple weeks ago, but I said, watch what you say. Yeah. Don't pick it back up. <laughs> don't, don't. Well, this flu season, you know, I think I'm going to, you know, probably going to get it this year. Yeah, you probably are. Yeah. <laughs> probably are. Although that's amazing. We haven't had any flu since COVID's come around. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Don't get me started there. Okay. All right. We love you. God loves you. That's the way it's going to be. If you need prayer for anything, you want to be prayed for, come on up and I'll pray for you, okay? We'll see you Sunday, 10 o'clock. Miss Cammie's going to be preaching. It's going to be awesome. Don't, don't miss Sunday. God bless you. You're dismissed.